Hello! Uh, uh, shit. See, I screwed up already! Bright Suns! <laughs> this is the Parkscope Unprofessional Podcast Hour. <laughs> My name is Joe. Oh. Joining me for the three-peat is Sean. Sean, how are you doing? Uh, Bright Suns, Joe. We're doing good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hanging in there. I, 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 it actually was was very bright suns here today. It, it's beautiful up in uh, Pennsylvania it today. It was gorgeous today. Yeah, it was like a high of like 72 in Pittsburgh. We had some rain, but just like these just beautifully blue skies. Just absolutely wonderful. Um, yeah, it's not too bad, you know, all things considering. <laughs> oh, man. Also joining us is this very special guest. Uh, you know him. You love him. Uh, he's back a year later to talk about the one-year anniversary of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. It's David Doubt. David, how are you doing? Bright suns, Joe. Bright suns, Sean. Or maybe, uh, I guess, on your side of the country, more like rising moons. Oh, uh, yeah. good point, yes. I honestly totally forgot what the, the nighttime reading was. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I, I totally forgot what it was. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure both of the... Both of the moons are shining bright on uh, an empty uh, Batu East right now. Uh, but no, you know, it's a uh, boy. It's it's a weird one out there right now, isn't it? Yeah. So we're recording this on uh, a little early. We're recording this on uh, May 14th because I feel like we're going to man. If we recorded it the week that it was uh, the one year anniversary, I feel like we'd be talking about a lot of other stuff, too. So I oh, wanna, yeah. I mean, I wanna, like. <laughs> There's there's going to be about three years that pass between the time we talk and when this actually goes out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I wanted to just acknowledge that we we're recording this early. So if there's any news that has bro- broken since like the next two, two, two and a half weeks or whenever this comes out, uh, that's why. Uh, basically, the, the latest thing that happened was uh, City Walk Orlando opened and nothing happened. You know, people showed up, they <laughs> bought donuts. That's it. The end. <laughs> Um, and that's about it. So, yay. There you go. Uh, so we're all gathered here tonight around the fire. Oh, wait, that's illumination. Oh, so never mind. You beat um, me. <laughs> around the fire as generations. Um, so we're here uh, to discuss the one-year anniversary of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, uh, which is hopefully giving me the impetus to finally finish my article on it. Um, because, man, I've only been working on that since October. Uh, but so I was going to say it's been a long time, Joe. Yeah, it has been. It's um so one year ago, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opened for previews. How how would was it previews, David? What would you, what would you call it? You know, it's hard to hard to say what to call it because I think in a technical sense they were calling it open on May thirty first, but you know it was that weird period where. You had to uh, book the reservation to go, and you could only go in for four hours, and you were supposed to only be able to do it once, but people quickly figured out how to uh, <laughs> break that rule. Um, but yeah, it uh, so it's sort of semi-opened on uh, May 31st, and then what, like J- June or July at some point is when they you know just said, okay, everybody can come in whenever they want now. Yeah, it felt like it was, like, the next day or something like that, where it's like, oh, <laughs> shit, oh, shit. Um, yeah, it, it was it was kind of a crazy opening, which I think we'll talk about later, but um, it's one-year anniversary now, um, and I think it would be good to just kind of come back and look at the the land, 
um, you know, a, le- a year later, see what ha- you know, what's actually, uh, you know, what happened, um, you know, what was implemented, what wasn't implemented, uh, what the general response has been from everyone. Um, because I think it was, it's, it's such an interesting land because there was so much hype for this thing. Like, people thought this was going to be literally the greatest thing in the world. And it kind of is in this weird middle ground where it both mm-hmm. exceeds expectations, but also just totally drops the ball at the same time in a weird way. Right, right. I mean, this was, you know, uh, almost a decade after Universal launched Potter. This was Disney finally uh, finally coming out with their real earnest response to that. Uh, I mean, we can talk about Cars Land and we can talk about uh, Pandora, but like this was this was supposed to be the thing. And like you said, I think in some points, in some aspects, it really builds on and exceeds the work that Universal did. And in some in some areas, it falls short. And I think, like you said, we will dive into that tonight. Yeah, I would say it was, um, the initial uh, idea was that it was good. this was going to be the leapfrogging, you know, the, leap, the leapfrog land where, you know, Hogsmeade was like, oh, wow, they're doing all these new things. The expectation was the same for uh galaxy's edge so yes let's get into it um we have a few uh kind of headers that we're going to discuss everything under but i expect that everything's going to get mushy and kind of go all over the place but the first one we have is the land itself no no we're totally gonna stay on the right top (laughs) okay good uh This, so let, this is the Parkscope Professional Podcast Hour tonight. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Woo. So let's talk about the land some. Um, so the land is about 14 acres large. It is divided into two areas. You have the Rebel Camp and Batu Outpost. Is that the technical name? Resistance. Uh, well, it's the Resistance. Did I say, did I say the Resistance <laughs> Outpost? What did I say? You said Rebel Outpost. Oh, well, the Resistance, whatever. You know, well, welcome to... <laughs> I'm just going to be pedantic. Yeah, that's fine. That's why you're here. You're, you're pedantic. Um, hey, you've got to say it or else Twitter will. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Shallow and pedantic. Um, yeah, so there's uh, the, the, the two areas of the land with uh, multiple restaurants, shops, experiences all throughout... So let, let's start off real quick with the atmosphere, especially when you walk into the land itself. Um, David, how how would you describe it out in Disneyland? And, and Sean, you can also join in since you two both yeah, I've been experienced. To both. Yeah. yeah, since you've uh, been to Disney Disneyland's. Yeah, I mean at Disneyland. I mean, from what I understand, I've not been to the uh, the Florida iteration, but from what I understand, other than a few very minor differences, they're they're largely identical um but in context with the the rest of the park it feels like somebody took a land from florida and just dropped it into california it's uh, a totally different totally different scale and totally different texture than the rest of the park which is both a good and a bad thing so uh at disneyland you uh for two of the, I mean, all the entrances, you're going under the train tracks, but uh, for the two entrances off of Frontierland, they, they actually have, you know, these big tunnels carved into the, the rock work. And so there's sort of a, a decompression uh, almost that happens as you uh, transition into this space where if you're coming in from Critter Country, there's, it's a, 
it can be a little bit more jarring because it, it kind of hits you in the face a little bit more. It's like, oh, this is completely different than the rest of the park that I was just in. Um, but I think for what for what it needs to do as a land unto itself, I think it's successful in, you know, creating this world and giving it the, the texture it needs and making it feel like, uh, you know, a believable, tangible place. Mm-hmm. Sean? Yeah, I, I actually like how it flows in Disneyland way better than I like how, how it works in uh, Hollywood Studios. Interesting. Um, yeah, I just I think it works going from Frontierland kind of aesthetic to the frontier of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I get it definitely does feel obviously like totally detached like stylistically from the rest of the park you know the rest of the park is very disneyland and all the disneylands are all very well maybe maybe not paris but they're all very broad you know it's it's uh stereotypical and it's meant to be that way Mm -hmm. and whereas you know this feels quote-unquote real but i I just think it works going from frontier land or the the frontier aesthetic to uh star uh, you know the way the, the land they built for Star Wars really works. And I, I feel like it's much more of a transportation there than it is in Hollywood Studios. Whereas it's still just just the way Hollywood Studios is, it still feels a little bit like, hey, you're on a set. Yeah, um, I can see that. So, I mean, obviously the land is still great on both sides, but I, I, I and this also might be my... I, I like Dis- Disneyland's my favorite park. I'm, I'm probably a little biased, but I just I like the way it flows better in Disneyland. Mm-hmm. And and Disney World's only has two entrances, while Disneyland's has three. Correct. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So you don't get that grand reveal like you do in Disneyland, where you walk right into the outpost. You end up in one of the two corners. So it's kind of yeah. like you don't get a reveal like you do in. Disneyland or, like, in Hogsmeade or Diagon Alley or Cars Land or anything like that. And coming from that Toy Story Land entrance is really awkward. Like, mm-hmm. the other entrance is... It, it, the other entrance kind of gives you that, that, like, transportation feel that you get at Disneyland, but, like, that Toy Story Land entrance, not a fan of that one. Yeah. Yes. So let's talk about... Uh, let's talk about the buildings a little bit. And kind of the general like layout and some of the stuff like that. Is there any like is there anything that really stands out for you guys that uh, that you guys want to talk about for the buildings or the design or anything like that? Because it kind of one of the problems I have with it is that they really don't differentiate these buildings well enough. Um, in my mind, because here you have a bunch of places that are trying to get your attention to spend money at, and they mm-hmm. all look the same. Like if this was an actual like mall or like a trading outpost or whatever, they would have people and things trying to draw your attention there as much as possible. But instead, everything feels like it's just isolated and you have to go up there to figure out what it is. And yeah, I- and, I, and, and I think that sort of plays into the the Star Wars design aesthetic a little bit. I mean, you think about okay. Star Wars and it's, you know... Every planet is kind of one thing. You've got the desert planet, and you've got the forest planet, and you've got the ocean planet, and you've got uh, the uh, the snow planet. And so this is sort of the, you know, 
petrified trees planet, if you will. <laughs> um, and it, it's, you know, I, I think there's, there is, I, I can see what you're saying with the idea that a lot of the structures sort of feel a little bit samey. And like, if you're just wandering, it's not immediately apparent. Oh, there's the cantina. Oh, there's the, uh, there's the restaurant. There's the, uh, you know, there, there's the collectible shop. It, it's, but in a way, I almost appreciate the, how it uh, encourages exploration. Like you, you kind of it kind of forces you to step in and say, "Oh, what is this place?" Rather than just knowing at a distance uh, what it is. So there's a trade-off, right? Versus you know just functional functionality as a as a theme park space and a retail space um, versus sort of the the texture and the, the tone of oh, I'm in this you know unfamiliar place and i have to there's something new to discover around every corner right mm-hmm. yeah I, I i agree with that like yeah everything's kind of i don't want to say one note but nothing nothing is like obviously what it's supposed to be like it's not it's not slapping in the face um but yeah like like david said you're it it draws you to go into places uh and and I think it it works really well at Star Wars, where like they tried to do the same thing with Pandora, where they didn't have signs and they didn't have all that stuff. But the problem was there was no like, oh, look at that big giant you know building with people going in and out of it. What is that? It was just like, oh, there's a path. Why are people going down that path? Oh, it turns out that's where the entrance to the ride is. <laughs> <laughs> Right, and you know, there, there's. Uh, I, I think they do a good job as well of kind of giving you signifiers where even if you don't immediately know what it is, there, there's kind of context clues, right? Like when you walk into yeah. the cantina, you can hear the the music from inside, even though you know it, it's technically music playing outside, just muted and muffled. But it, it gives you that sense of oh, there, there's something happening in there. Obviously, there's the you know full-size recreation of the the falcon at the entrance uh to that ride um so there's you know there's hints that sort of give you some context even if you know like i I don't think uh like doc ondar's shop the the sort of higher-end collectible shop i don't think it actually has in a sign written in readable english i think the only sign is in arabesh uh but you know it, it it's got the you know the, the crates and stuff out front of it and the the, the big statue and so it, it's sort of like yeah. oh there's 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 something in there it gives you gives you just enough to go on mm-hmm. okay um so the next topic I want to talk about with the land is uh the music or maybe the lack of music <laughs> right um, right so one of the things that I keep that that I see about the land is like you can't have music because it's all this giant kind of um, atmospheric package. You get, you know, the various buildings and their acoustics, and then you have the, you know, the sounds of, you know, spaceships above you, which aren't there, but you can hear them. They're there, we swear. Um, You you know, those kinds of things. You get, um, you know, animals, things of that nature as you walk through. But um, weirdly enough, there's absolutely no music in the land, which is bizarre because... Um, John Williams created a musical soundtrack, or at least a theme for the land, and it just isn't there. And um, 
as much as I think we make fun of the Potter <laughs> background loop for being, you know, 22 minutes of very much Harry Potter-ass Harry Potter music, um, not having music in Galaxy's Edge, in, in terms of the um, the land itself, is kind of weird, and it always stuck out for me. And I think there's a better way they could implement it that's not, you know, that 22-minute loop on repeat everywhere, but it could be more um, tactically placed. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, this is this is an interesting this is an interesting point for me because mm-hmm. I think I, I think this gets into a lot of what I think we're probably going to talk about a lot in this uh, discussion is just the idea of what what parts of the land and the experience are frankly left unfinished and they're we, we've gotten little tastes of this, and uh, especially in media previews and uh, and stuff like that. But when you see the way this place is supposed to work, the absence of music sort of starts to make more sense because it it, it it's designed to be more like the way music is treated in a film score, right? Like if you go back and watch the original Star Wars, yeah, there's a lot of you know iconic music and a lot of. Uh, uh, it's a very soundtrack-heavy movie, but there are also large stretches of the movie where there's just not music. Where you know it's it's people, uh, it, it, it's people in in a room talking to each other, and you don't need that emotional heightening necessarily of the of the soundtrack to kick in. So it's just not there. You know when Luke is training with uh, with Obi Wan on the Millennium Falcon, or even large stretches of when they're in uh, Mos Eisley on Tatooine. Um, obviously, you have the cantina music, but that sort of in-world music, uh, there's not a lot of score in that part of the of the movie. And mm-hmm. the, the music only comes in when it's trying to emphasize an emotion, whether it's, it's suspense or action or, you know, uh, Luke gazing out at the sunset, yearning for... Uh, a, something different in his life uh and when you get these when you see the shows that frankly have not been present at all in the land since it's opened outside of the sort of half a show they do when uh kylo ren or kylo ren comes into the land um (laughs) but they've they've shown these things at media previews and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I get it now. It's supposed to be like that. There's sort of a base level soundscape to what this land is. And then when something happens, when there's something that they want to emphasize, then the music comes in and draws your attention to that. Right. So if, uh, like when you're on the rides, there's, there's full soundtrack and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. And, and, you know, like when they, I think the, uh, my buddy Nick was out there for the opening of Rise. He didn't go to the media day, but uh, I think that weekend they still had, like, they, they had paid these actors for the weekend, so it's like, why not use them? So they had a couple of the of the shows that were, you know, always planned to be in the land. They were actually running them a little bit that weekend. And, huh, okay. And, and, you know, he said, oh, yeah, I get it. I For, like, a minute I saw the full picture of what this place is supposed to be where you know there's this uh th- there's this show in front of the resistance base and uh you know uh they they raise up the x-wings and all this stuff and then afterwards uh Vimarati came over to me and uh we we were chatting and she said oh meet me over by in the over by the the tie fighter in uh in the outpost and I'll I'll give you an assignment and so there's this 
like all the pieces clicked together for that one moment and we've just never yeah. seen it happen like that uh before or since then and so i agree right now the way it exists the land does feel a little bit a little bit static a little bit dead and i think the the easy answer is to say oh yeah you can you can bring in some of that some of that emotion some of that missing feeling with by by injecting music into the space like they do with potter um but it's it would be a shame to sort of see them give up in that way almost like just a full acknowledgement of oh yeah the these bigger more ambitious ideas these are never coming so we're just going to patch the problem in in a different way okay yeah yeah i just feel like especially now they're they're never coming oh yeah especially <laughs> especially post pandemic yeah it's yeah. it's uh there was you know they were long odds before they are long gods yeah. now and mm-hmm. i think i think they could even still do a better job because there's certain spots in the um certain spots in the marketplace where they do have like the mu- music that rex plays in the cantina right playing where it sounds like it's coming out of someone's window like they have the radio on and they're just doing something in their house and it's coming out their window. I th- I think there's definitely opportunities where they can do more of that kind of stuff. And, and um, I, I I could be imagining it, but I I feel like at Disneyland they've kind of goosed that even a little bit uh, since uh, since it's opened. I feel like there are more areas where you do get sort of that diegetic music bleeding into it, whether it's okay. the the radio, like you mentioned, or like the uh, the courtyard at Docking Bay Seven has sort of uh, uh, sort of like uh, like like East, very Eastern inspired music, and uh, there, there's little. I, I feel like there's more pockets of music than there used to be. Like I said, I could be imagining it, but right. I feel like they have adjusted that balance in some ways. And it, I, it would also help if I mean I don't know if Joe was going to get into this, but like. We've all we, I've often talked about like I I don't want to come off as negative because I love Galaxy's Edge but and I don't want to come, I'm gonna come off as the Universal fanboy that I am but uh, <laughs> like <laughs> D- Diagon and Hogsmeade even without the shows that both of them have uh, there's so, so much kinetic energy um, yeah. all around you and the 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 Star Wars some of the stuff is cool like the sounds are cool but they do a good job of making it sound like there are you know ships flying overhead and you know things happening in windows but there's just nothing there's nothing moving nothing you hear a lot of stuff but you don't see a lot of stuff and that uh, is maybe probably one of the the things that I think Diagon and Hogsmeade do way better than than Galaxy's Edge. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the difference, the the big difference between the two is that especially especially Diagon was really allowed to be what they intended and what they designed it to be. Where in a, a very real sense, Galaxy's Edge just wasn't like it. it there, there were these there were these bigger ambitions there, and then for whatever reason, they they kind of pulled a lot of them back at the last minute. And so you've got this this experience that feels like it's missing something because in a very tangible sense, it is. I mean, you, you look like just walking around, you can very in plain sight, see, Oh yeah, this is, 
here are four or five different stages where shows are supposed to be happening and there's just nothing there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we covered the show's aspect. Uh, before we move on, Sean, there's one last topic in this kind of general thing. It's the data pad. Oh, love me. Love go, me some data pad. Go into the data pad. Cause <laughs> this is something I never really could get into in the land because the first time I went there, my app was not working. And the second time when I went, I, w- I felt like I was just going everywhere that I really couldn't spend the time and focus on it that I should have. Um, so do you want to go into it a little bit, Sean? Sure. And I know David likes the, the data pad as well, but I, I, I will 100% say without certainty that I was completely wrong about the data pad. <laughs> I, it's, it's so stupid. It's so minimal, but I love the hell out of it. I love going up, you know, it's, you go into the uh, Play Disney app. It turns your phone into a you know Star Wars data pad. You pick who you're, what side you're on: uh, Resistance, First Order, or Smugglers. Um, you do missions for everyone. You get points and you rank up. And you you know, it's it's just it's stupid fun, but I love it. Um, you you get to like hack into people's phones and see what they've been talking about. You can steal uh, plans from the first order. Like I you still steal like tie fighter plans or star destroyer plans. Um, but like David was saying, it feels like it should play into the bigger story in the land that we never get to see. And yeah. that's, that's the frustrating thing with it. Cause it's, it's stupid fun that feels like it should lead somewhere, but it doesn't. It, 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 in a way, it's sort of a, a microcosm of the the issues with the the whole experience, right? Because it, it's what's there. What's there is good, and what's there is fun, and what's there is compelling. But there's at the same time, you're sort of always cognizant of the fact that oh, there's supposed to be more here. This is supposed yeah. to do more than what it does. Like, I'm getting I'm getting these credits. What can I do with them? Oh, nothing, actually. Uh, like, it, it, there's these missing pieces of the puzzle that you can so clearly see, and it's like, you just want them to fill in the pieces. And, I mean, I have, uh, I have a friend who, I think it was around the time that uh, Rise of Skywalker came out last year, um, they were at, uh, uh, I think it was like a taping of a podcast or something, and they ran into somebody uh, who is on the Lucasfilm Story Group, and they were, they just kind of got chatting about uh, Galaxy's Edge a little bit, and the uh, the Lucasfilm person said, yeah, it's it's really frustrating because in, in a very real sense, I don't think uh, Datapad will ever get to be what it was meant to be, and like, uh-huh. you know. To hear, you know, somebody from Lucasfilm say that is just really gutting. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's the the frustrating push and pull of this place. It's like what's there is so good, but it, it feels like, you know, it, it feels like there should be more, and there should be more. And we we have we have the receipts of what more there should be, and it's just, you know. It, it it's kind of especially like you said, Sean. Post pandemic, it's it's really starting to feel like, oh yeah, none of this is ever coming. I mean, still in the in the the code of the app, none of it's live. But they have uh, they have additional uh, data pad missions uh, 
programmed into the app, you know, it was going to be a deal where it's like for five bucks, you could buy a pack of like 16 missions or something like that. And really do these more elaborate missions. And, you know, it's, it's all there in the code of the app. They've just never flipped the switch to turn it on. Um, and you know, just frustrating. Well, that's like the, the new mission they added when rise opened. Um, yeah. Which I think that, that whole mission that felt like the part, like that felt like all the pieces were there. Yeah. Because it's, it's a mission that you're doing that, you know, quote unquote, actually has meaning once you get to the like you do that mission and then you ride the ride. And you're like, oh, I helped do that. Even I mean, obviously you didn't, but like it right, makes right. it, it gives, makes it, it feel more, real. It gives more context to the experience, right? It, right? It's like the the ride is fun on its own, but you get up there and it's like, oh yeah, I you know the the droids on these ride vehicles that have been reprogrammed to help the resistance. I did that remotely. I did that from my phone. Uh, and it's like, like you said, you didn't in a very real sense. You were, you were just playing a game on your phone. The ride still happens the way it does regardless. But uh, like that, that feeling is, is cool and it's special. And even, even dumb stuff like, uh, like on, on smugglers run, if you have the, the app open on your phone and you've ridden the ride before the, the pre-show when you right before you, load into the cockpit there's some variations where it'll you know the the bluetooth beacon will look for phones running the datapad app and it will see if those phones had been on the ride earlier that day or whatever and the the pre-show video will change a little bit based on how you did on your last ride if you did really well honda will say like oh you're back it's uh we we had such a successful mission previously or if you did really badly it's like you're back i didn't expect to see you after what happened last time um and you know it's it's dumb really really simple stuff but it's it's also stuff that we just haven't seen done in in theme parks before where you know the the ride the ride remembers you right yeah and uh it there's so much more they could be doing with it and it they're just not yeah let's 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 segue into the rides some um since that was i think a good transition um let's talk a little bit about millennium falcon smugglers run um you're talking about yeah. I, I know this is uh sean's favorite <laughs> yeah um the, uh, so so we mentioned how you know the the rides interactive and you know hondo can react to how you well you did in the ride um is there any additional like because we we talked to you last year about um your thoughts on the ride david um we haven't talked about Sean about his thoughts, but um, what ha, have your thoughts changed at all? Are there any updates, or is it still, excuse me, still kind of like eh? I I think I, I think the biggest thing that's changed is I no longer am holding out hope that there's ever going to be more than just the Corellia mission. Like, <laughs> I, I, hope. I, I think at yeah, I think at the time, like you know, I was sort of. Saying, oh yeah, this this one mission, th- this one mission is is all right, but it's like you know it'll be interesting to see what the other missions are like, and you know there there's some there there's the potential for this to go in some interesting places, but you know here we are a year later and no signs that there there's ever going to be anything new added to that ride, and it's like I think. I I like I definitely like the ride better than Sean. I'll, I'll say that much. <laughs> I I think I I think it's it's good to pretty good. Like it's not you know it, it's certainly not a home run hit, but I think it's 
it, it's fun enough. It, it's I actually find myself writing it a lot when I'm in Disneyland because it it's such high capacity that it it's pretty reliably easy to get on. I, I don't know how different that is in Florida, but like if the posted wait time is 40 minutes, which it is a lot of the time out here, like that's a walk on for single rider. Um, and so it's like, Oh yeah, I, I'll go on that. If I don't have to wait, it, it, it's one of those ones, right. Where it's like, I don't actively avoid it, but I also would not be in a rush to spend 70 plus minutes waiting in line for it, you know? Yeah. Well, as you know, in Florida, Fast Pass Plus ruins everything. So, indeed, it does, and I'm sure yeah. you know. It's they is that's that's the thing, right? They still haven't uh, activated Fast Pass for it out here, and so as, as soon as they flip that mm-hmm. switch, it'll just be impossible to ride, and I'll probably never ride it again. Yeah, exactly. That's the problem. Is like as soon as they did that, it went from being like oh, 40, 45 minute wait, sure, uh, you know, in standard to like being like eighty minute wait. And you're like, oh damn it. Yeah. So, Sean. I'm gonna kick back and let uh, you go. I I feel like I feel like I don't know. I feel like I should be nicer. Um, <laughs> I hate that ride. Um, <laughs> it was. Uh, I I I think if I had done it first before I went around the land, I probably would have been nicer to it. But because I I was. I mean, I was pretty down on Star Wars before I went the first Star Wars and before I went the first time, just because I I don't know it just it seemed incomplete. It seemed you know, but I I loved the land. You know, me and my wife walked in when we went to Disneyland, and absolutely I absolutely loved it. And she like Star you know I've gotten her into Star Wars, and she thought it was really cool. So I think I was really you know, like, oh man, this is so much better than I thought it was going to be. And then I I got in line for. Uh, you know, smugglers run. Uh, I went into the backstage area where they just have like crates stacked up and stuff. Um, and the line was just—I I didn't get—I didn't do single rider because I'm a stupid theme park fan. I'm like, oh, I got to see the queue first. <laughs> um, so yeah, I waited. Pro- I probably waited like an hour for it. Um, I got. No, I got Gunner. So I, at least I was an engineer. Well, I, I've got to say, Sean, Gunner's in my for my money, Gunner's the worst one. Like I'll take okay. engineer any day over Gunner. Okay, good to know. Um, sit down, and it starts, and I, I I don't know. It just everyone. I I was obviously by myself. Everyone's just yelling at each other. <laughs> no one. Knows. It was like me, three older women, and like a couple, and who the couple were the pilots, and they just did nothing the entire time, um, and everyone's just yelling at each other. I'm trying to look at my buttons and look at look at the screen, and I'm usually I don't get motion sick, but it was starting to make me a little motion sick. And Hondo's yelling at us, and everybody's yelling, and I'm just like, I want to be off of this thing so bad. <laughs> I, I will say this much. The ride is is very dependent on uh, how good the group of people yeah. in it are. And, and I, I don't even just mean in terms of, like, literally how good they are at playing the game. Because I've been on rides where we have just trashed the hell out of the ship. And it's been the most fun ever because people were not... Like, like people were into it, right? Like, they, yeah. they were having yeah. fun. Um, but when... I, I think the worst... 
the the worst scenario for that ride is when you've got a people a bunch of people who don't really know how to play the game but are frustrated by the fact that they don't know how to play it right they're not yeah. just leaning into the fact that they're bad and just going for going for the ride uh that's when it gets that's when it gets rough and i it feels like that was kind of the experience you had on it oh, and i definitely yeah. had the worst possible experience <laughs> I would love I would like to do it again and have like at least like half of the ship be people that I know. Right. <laughs> um so we didn't when I went cuz I rode it when we were in California. I didn't get back on it when I went for Rise um in February. Yeah. Um mostly cuz my sister and her boyfriend are like very bad with regular motion simulators so they didn't want to do it. Yeah. Um and I was not waiting in the line again for it. So, <laughs> right. Well, here here are the things that I think are the the big weaknesses with the ride. I think that there's a pretty big disparity in how fun each of the positions are. Like I'm, like I like engineer. I think on average more than most people do. Um, I, I think it's fine. Um, but pilot is almost inarguably the best position like that's the best experience um i think gunner is just the pits like i if like if i am single rider you're almost guaranteed to get engineer which is how i write it most of the time but like if i'm going you know through the full queue and i get gunner i kind of do a silent groan to myself because it's (laughs) just the worst um and i think as a game it's you know like as a ride, I, I like I said, I think it's it's good to pretty good. As a game, I think it's bad to pretty bad. Yeah, um, it, I think it, that was also my big one of my big complaints was I was not exactly sure what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I mean, as a pretty avid video gamer, I feel like that's not a good sign when I'm kind of confused by what's going on. Right. <laughs> And like again, you you write because there's only the one mission, and it's pretty, pretty on rails. You write it a couple times, and like you start to get it. It's like okay, here's what I have to do at this time. But like right. like stupid stuff, like the uh, in in the first half of the ride, uh, Hondo will uh, tell the tell one of the pilots to hit the brakes, and if you hit the brakes when Hondo tells you to do it, it's already too late. Like you have to know to do it and hit it in punch the button before he says so or else you've uh you you've quote unquote failed that part of it and like again it's not the biggest deal like the actual sequence of what happens is is the same you still fall down into the shaft uh you know it, it's very very on rails but just the feeling of oh i did the thing but it didn't do the thing that it was supposed to it's a bad feeling um yeah. and it's it's bad not great game design um i also think having the the one mission be on Corellia was uh, a stinker of a choice because it's neither a particularly iconic Star Wars world nor a particularly interesting one. It's it's just all industrial shit. Um, yeah. Like if, if they were gonna like if it's if it was one of like, you know, a half dozen different sequences, that's fine. But if it's the one that, you know, every time you write it, it's this one thing. It's like Go go somewhere people actually recognize or give a shit about, right? Um, I don't know. I think a- again. I I feel like the my tone throughout this podcast so far has been 
fairly negative. And I think what that betrays is just sort of crushed optimism. <laughs> it's like, I really like Galaxy's Edge a lot. And I, I definitely want to make that clear. I think I think it's a lot of fun. I, it, it's, you know, I think it's really successful in a lot of what it does. Like, you know, obviously I've not gone to Disneyland uh, since all of this started. Nobody has. But, like, I spend a lot of time there when I go. Um, but it's just... I, I went back and read the article I wrote uh, just after this opened. And, like, you know, it was so... The, the tone of the article I wrote at the time was this is really cool i can't wait to see what's coming next because there's you know there, there's all these spots where stuff is obviously supposed to come next and you know here we are a full year later and none of that none of that came and it's that's where i get really frustrated with it it's like you you had all the pieces in place to do something amazing something that nobody has ever done before and you just left the pieces on the table and didn't do anything with them Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I'm oh. I'm almost coming from we we kind of met in the middle because I was coming from a pretty low like expectation standpoint, and so I I feel like I still sound more negative than I actually feel about the land because I love the land, but like where you were super you know ex uh, you know you had high expectations I had low expectations that they outmatched mm -hmm. and you had higher expectations that they kind of brought down by not finishing but right i'm still frustrated because like i'm like if they had finished this if they had put everything that they clearly had planned it would probably far and away be my favorite land even with a huge stinker of a ride in it right blue <laughs> <laughs> uh so i guess the next thing we should get into is rise of the resistance the uh Mega e-ticket blockbuster attraction extraordinaire. Um, yeah, it's a ride. It's it's pretty fun. Um, David, what are your thoughts? So you know, kind of segueing out of what we just said. Yeah, to get let, let's resist get to something good. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think I think genuinely, Rise of the Resistance is the one part of Galaxy's Edge where it feels like. They called their shot and did exactly what they set out to do, right? Like, we we can, you, like, in the ranking of, you know, all-time best attractions, you know, we, we can argue where it falls. But I think just in terms of the, the benchmarks Disney had set for themselves, I think Disney hit those with Rise of the Resistance. Like, it, it doesn't feel compromised in a way that a lot of the rest of Galaxy's Edge does. It, it, it feels like, okay, they they did the thing they set out to do and it's it's really good. Mhm. Mm it feels like they're um they were Babe Ruth and they just pointed the bat and they hit the home run right there. Right. And, and I think it it's it really smart to the way they sort of divide the attraction into these these different experiences, right? I mean, you you can you can call them pre-shows in a traditional sense, but I think what they do kind of goes beyond that where it's, you know, it, it, it's something a lot closer to the old, uh, you know, dearly departed Star Trek experience in, in Vegas, where it's this sort of experience that as you go through, it keeps unfolding and, and new layers keep peeling back until you're on the actual ride itself. And I think it that's what's, I think that more than anything else is why it's been such a big hit with people is it's, you know, 
at every at every turn it sort of surprises you and subverts your expectations of what a theme park attraction is going to be and in, in what it's supposed to do even though a lot of what it does is pretty like it, it's not like you know it's not a new ride system it's all you know based on existing tech but combining all those pieces in in interesting way i think is can be just as valuable as building a whole new system from the ground up mm-hmm. i think that's kind of the the big thing is, like, I, I think a lot of times we look back on, you know, Spider-Man or Indiana Jones or those sorts of attractions, and we're like, oh, man, that was so revolutionary. But if you're at that point, you can still pick it apart like some people picked apart Rise. It was like, well, I mean, Indiana Jones is just a dark ride with a motion simulator base. It's just this. It's just this. But it's, again, like how you put it together and how it's executed that mm-hmm. is what really sets it apart. Um, and that's, and I think that's why I really do think Rise is one of those generational leap attractions. Um, just everything about it, basically from the first pre-show all the way to the end, is just exceptionally well done. Um, Sean, what are your what's what's your thoughts? Yeah, no, I I agree. It's in my top five. Five, and I, I actually think the um, the troop transport section. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> the, the second, you know, quote unquote pre-show is my favorite part of the entire attraction, um, which I never thought I was going to say. But um, I love that whole sequence of really the would, animatronics and you, you thought the it would, you and, thought it would get old real quick. Yeah, because it's like it, I'm like ugh, like another five to ten minute pre-show. Like that seems like you know crazy, um, especially because like the first pre-show with Ray well whatever that's that 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 feels like i i don't need to ever see that again but the that that troop transport section is like incredible um i think that that is it is perfection and i think it is the the best part of the attraction yeah i mean because it's almost like you you can call it a pre-show but it's almost star tours light right like you've got you've Um, got an animatronic uh pilot at the front of the ship you've got just enough motion in the base like obviously you're you're standing up you're not sitting down with seat belts on so it can't be too extreme but there, there's just enough motion there to feel you know to feel like something's happening uh it, it it's like halfway between a pre-show and a ride into itself yeah mm-hmm. and also the uh you know the big gag in it is that the thing rotates so Everyone goes to the, you know, the far left of the thing thinking it would open because, you know, it's like any other pre-show in Disney or Universal. And then Uh it rotates and then the the first door that you came in opens and then you're there you are on the on the hangar. And that and that's and that's like a drop dead great experience every single time. Oh, classic magic trick, you know, just uh, the, you know, the the door you went through now opens to someplace else like you. You you immediately know how it works, but like just the that second where you're caught off guard is, is so satisfying, and it's it's really rewarding to watch people who haven't done it yet and, and maybe don't aren't already prepared to know how it works do exactly what you mentioned, where they go to the wrong door and you know oh shit things are happening behind me and uh, you know that's that's great that's always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about, Rise? Um, I think just 
like the big thing for me was I was impressed by how many animatronics there were in it, where it feels like Disney's kind of settled into this groove. It feels like where like they do one, right? Like it's like every attraction, even if it's primarily screen based, there there's gotta be one sort of uh showstopper of an animatronic in if nothing else in the queue. Like going back all the way to Toy Story Mania and Potato Ever, Head, right? Everett or Everest or something like that. Right, right. And so uh like getting on this and it's like Oh, there are, uh, like, when you consider the fact that there are three different ITS shuttles on the turntable, like, there are three expensive, fully articulated animatronics right there, and that's before you even get into the ride, right? Like, you know, that's the thing that it's like, oh, Disney can still make attractions like this, and they haven't done it in a long, long time. It, It really feels like for the first time in, I don't even know how many years, Disney was finally able to pull out all the tools they have in their toolbox and really put them to work on something big instead of having one hand tied behind their back. Mm -hmm. I was amazed that they actually had a Finn figure in there. Like, that was surprising to me. Like, I couldn't believe it. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, I was just... I, I I'm just still gabs, you know, just like they actually had it, like, and not some sort of like behind the back figure, like um, General Hux's, where it's sort of like, like the like the Ellen Audio animatronic at Universal Energy, where it starts like, Ooh, <laughs> oh boy, yeah. uh, um, it kind of looks like him, I guess. Uh, no, you know, it, it looks pretty good. Yeah, I, I think if I was to really get in and nitpick it, I think the one maybe slightly disappointing aspect of it is the the only variability it has is in the path of the two different uh the, the two different ride vehicles and one is sort of very clearly superior to the other like yeah. <laughs> I, I wish there was either no variation or the variation was more meaningful um one or the other uh to have to have a situation where it's like, oh, no, I got the bad car is, you know, never, never exactly ideal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I, understand. I, uh, my, I think my one, if I had to nitpick it, because I, I, I can nitpick everything. Um, <laughs> it's, I think the, the actual pacing on the ride is a little off. Because, um, like, I feel like the big, the biggest wow moment is that ATAT room? And yes, I say ATAT, everyone. Um, <laughs> Gasp. And it happens like right away. Yeah. And I just, I feel like the, I feel like the first Hux, um, or the first Kylo and Hux thing should happen. It feels like it, that should happen before uh, the ATAT room, personally. Yeah, I, it, I think I, I could see that. I, 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 it's the sort of big, like physically biggest scene and kind of the biggest set piece moment. And it, it feels like either there needed to be another another scene closer to the end, more on that scale, or move that closer to the end. I, I yeah. totally see what you're saying. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think they figured like the the you know drop simulation would kind of make up for that. Um, but 
again, it's a nitpick. The, the ride's incredible. It's it's great. It just feels like it could have done a, a little bit more tweaking with the the uh, pacing. But again, yeah, just a nitpick. Mm-hmm. Totally understand. Um, yeah, so I, I guess that's about it. About about the rides. Um, you know, the thing that we go to theme parks for. Uh, yeah, you know. Let's talk about the <laughs> let's talk about the things that Disney wishes we go to theme parks for. Merch and food. <laughs> Woo! Oh yeah. Uh, let's start off with the food because I think um, this one's going to be a little more interesting. Um, so the food options have always been kind of this weird thing where, um, uh, how do we put this lightly? Disney really didn't know how to do food for a while. <laughs> um, yeah. This was uh, so Disney World. Actually, my understanding is I think they built in like 2015 or something a test kitchen basically where they make all the new recipes for all the parks and Interesting. that was something they just never had until that point so the first real rollout of that was pandora which is where you why you got all those awesome you know protein bowls and stuff like that um so it sounds like they they did some of that with star wars galaxy's edge but the weird part is also disneyland did some of it so it it, it kind of doesn't yeah it's kind of weird but um the food uh Disney's not always done well with Star Wars food, shall we say? Um, yeah. Shall we remember the chips and Sith? Uh, Sith and chips. Sith the, and chips. Uh, the dark side pizza. Oh man. The uh, the dark the like what, what was, was it? The, the, the Darth Maul burger the, was it? <laughs> oh yes. Um. The uh, you the, know some, some real winners back then. Yeah. The uh, the Darth Vader waffles and chicken, chicken and waffles. Uh, it, it was Darth Vader, known for eating things. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it was all real bad for a while. Um, very, very, like literally, it was the beginning of inside of well, back in the day, Orlando United's uh, real or fake was basically them reading off the Star Wars food menu to Andy, and they inserted real and fake items. So it's like <laughs> baby. So it's like Yoda's uh, Yoda's green beans. <laughs> and stuff like that, and just like, just the absolute insanity of that old menu. But the uh, so the good news is they've improved, <laughs> um, to say the least. <laughs> yeah. Um, and one of the big question marks um, was that you know when when uh, Potter opened in 2010, they introduced butter beer, frozen and cold, and it was an aspirational drink in the Wizarding World. Um, you know, something that mm-hmm. you would travel to Hogsmeade to have. And it was something that friends had over drinks, and it was a great time, and everyone had a good time. Butterbeer, butterbeer, butterbeer. Well, for uh, Star Wars, there's really not that many food and drink items. Um, right. But one, but one of them, for sure, is milk. Uh, the blue milk uh, from Luke in the original trilogy and the green milk from Luke in the new trilogy. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, these two milk variants, and I know they tested out blue milk before in like the fifties primetime cafe. No, no sci-fi dining. I'm sorry. Um, and then they launched it at the park and David, I forget. Did you like blue milk and green milk? So here's, here's my, here's my, uh, thesis on, uh, the, the star Wars milk. Um, I think it's fine. Like I, if I'm being perfectly honest, like, just for like flavor and something that's refreshing like i would probably if i had the opportunity to 
get the two side by side. Like I would probably grab a blue milk over like a frozen butter beer, right? Like I, I like the mm-hmm. I like other variants of butter beer. Like I think the hot butter beer is really good. That's my my favorite one. But like just comparing frozen drink to frozen drink, like I'm gonna go blue milk over over butter beer. The the problem I have with the the blue milks is, uh, or the, the the blue and green milk is a couple things. I I think it is well, butter beer for one is already overpriced, and that's just skyrocketed in price since they introduced it. it I think it was it's like crazy how much it changed. Wh- what, it's did it start, this, what, what did it start? What did it start? I think as? it's over double. Yeah, it's over like double. Three it, bucks. Yeah, it was like three bucks when it was introduced, and now it's like eight. Yeah. yeah, something like, like that. Stupid. Yeah, um, and, and of course because the you know the two companies are in this perpetual game of chicken, Disney feels like they have to. They, they always feel like they have to match each other, right? And so mm-hmm. if uh, if Disney is going to uh, have a specialty novelty drink, it's got to be the same price as butter beer. They they can't be seen as lesser than. Um, the the problem is. It's the same price as butter beer, but it's in a cup half the size. And like, I don't even want it is, that. It is I don't even want that much blue milk, right? Like, I don't want a full, tall glass of blue milk. But it's like, if I'm paying eight bucks for something, give me more than this little thimble. Um, the giant beer steins with the winches coming out like an Oktoberfest with blue milk. I, <laughs> right. I, I want a. I want a giant cup filled with blue milk. <laughs> <laughs> I love blue milk. It's so good. I think that's the most <laughs> like, interesting is that you are love it. Like unironically love it. Would buy it at home if I could. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I even I even like the green one. <gasps> I don't hate the green one either. I think they're both I think they're both fine. I I don't love either one and I don't hate either one. I would probably never bought like out, if I if I went up, I would always buy the blue one. But when I was there, when we were in the Orlando uh, land in February, my sister and her boyfriend got the the green one to try. When I got the blue one, and it's totally fine. Like I, I don't want to insult all of the the people on Team Park Twitter, but like expand your palettes, y'all. Yeah, it's fine. I, I think I think it's the. <laughs> I think it's the lavender taste that throws people. Like I've heard people say it tastes like soap, and I think there's just, you know, that association there with uh, oh, lavender things remind me of soap, and yeah. therefore, so I, I I can see that, but like I I think it's fine. Lavender equals potpourri. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I do on on unironically and unequivocally love the blue one and. I like it better than all the butter beers except for the hot. The hot butter beer is just that's incredible. Yeah, but can't go wrong with hot butter beer. Yeah. So I, I, I will, oh, I will say this sorry. much: the uh, the the blue bantha drink in the the cantina, which is one of the non-alcoholic drinks, it's just it, it's the same uh, coconut and rice milk mixture as the the frozen blue milk. It's just not frozen. It is revolting. Like. Oh, I, 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 yeah. I, I like the I like the frozen one. The non frozen one is just the pits. Huh. Man, there's I guess there's something about it. I guess. Like I, I was not expecting to be because uh Yeah, I think I had the frozen one first, and so I was not expecting to 
be as put off by the the non-frozen one as I was, but and maybe I just got a bad batch, but ooh, it, it was <laughs> not good. Yeah, I I, I actually I, I'm more on the side of David on this one. Is like I think the milks are fine. Like I saw people like throwing them away and you know like that stuff, and I'm like I think they're both fine. I don't think they were terrible. I don't think they were like outstanding. I still prefer prefer butterbeer. I think in the end. But I think they're both perfectly acceptable and fine drinks. And unlike butterbeer, they will mix alcohol into them for you. Um, if you're if you're in Florida, anyway. Yeah, yeah. If you're in your Florida, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, they don't I, do that in Disneyland. Dis- Disneyland has, I, I think, I think Disneyland Ops is still really skittish about the whole alcohol thing, and yeah. so there's al- there's alcohol in the cantina, but nowhere else. Okay. So. Not not in not in Docking Bay, not in Ronto Roasters, not at the milk stand. Like if you if you're gonna have alcohol at Disneyland, it's only in Ogas. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so so I think it's good. Yeah, it's just, it's good. It's good. <laughs> um, let's talk about the other iconic hashtag iconic uh, item in Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. That's the Ronto wrap. Yes. Um, I yeah. So David, so David, does the Ronto wrap still hold up a year later? I think so. Absolutely. Okay. Here's the, uh, here's the caveat I will make with the Ronto wrap is that uh, not all Rontos are created equal. Hashtag not all Rontos. Uh, um, it, it's really dependent on the. Uh, on the uh, just just fully leaning in the girth of the sausage and the uh, <laughs> and the amount of sauce they give you, like if you've got a nice thick sausage and a good amount of sauce, like it's great, just top notch. If you've got like a really skimpy sausage and they they were light on the sauce, then you know why bother? Um, so it, it there's some variability there, but when you get a good one, ugh, they're so good, and the breakfast ones are just top notch. Yeah, I. I really I want to get the breakfast one next time. Mm-hmm. The the uh, half hour it's served today, right? Yeah, that that was the problem. I got there thinking they were still gonna have the breakfast one, and it was already lunch. Yeah, it was like ten thirty. Yeah, it's so. Anyway, um, I, I also I also like the uh, I don't know if it's uh, if it's actually vegan or if it's just vegetarian, but the uh, the plant based one I I also like that one. I don't think it's as good as the as the the regular pork one, um, which you know bums me out a little bit because <clears throat> I've been trying to eat less pork, and so any anywhere I can find a substitute is good, and it just just doesn't do it for me the same way as the pork one <laughs> does. Yeah. But it's, mm-hmm. it's it's good in its own right, and it's what I like about it is it's got a different, a slightly different flavor to it than the the regular one does. It has a uh, kimchi on the top instead of the regular Ooh. so it's uh okay that's something else going for it. okay that sounds I'm pretty have to good try that. so my i i'm i i tried the ronto wrap i really gave it a fair shake but like there's just i don't know i think hollywood like hollywood studios how they produce them is just really bad because when i ate it it was just dry and kind of just blah like that's that's how i felt about it yeah, it was just kind of, uh, and I got it in Hollywood Studios, not in um, Disneyland. Disneyland. Yeah, I think that it must be a, a coastal thing because, like, 
I go to Disney World and I'm like, okay, let's try this. And it's just like, it's just a, a, a mostly pita. Like the pork was kind of dry. The sausage itself was fine. And then the slaw and the actual sauce were just kind of middling to nothing there. So it's just like, it just yeah, it it could anything. be a coastal thing because there there's times I get them where they're they're almost too wet. Uh, so, jeez, oh, wow, this is getting real raunchy of a podcast. Oh yeah, we have a lot of potential show show notes or show names here. Yeah. Oh yes, you know, uh, getting dirty with the ranchos. <laughs> uh but yeah i, I the just beer, the beer that they oh, sell yes. at the um uh florida ronto roasters is really good i think it's the trandoshan ale i think it's, it's, it's really like a sour good. or something like that yeah i i think that's one of the ones that we don't have out here because i we we have some of them in ogas but there are ones that uh are orlando exclusive because they don't sell them in the other restaurants yeah. So that's Trandoshan Ale is really good. I will have to try it next time I'm in Florida. Mm-hmm. I thought it was. I mean, I'm not necessarily a sour beer guy kind of guy. I like I'll I'll drink it in moderation. Um, but it was it was it was fine. I thought. Um, I love sours. So I haven't eaten at Docking Bay Seven. Um, yeah, so, another uh, So, David, is there any anything? Have you eaten there? And if so, is there any additional insight you can provide? A year yeah, later. I, I actually, so I think fully acknowledging up front that I think just on weight against each other, Disneyland has much better food options than Walt Disney World does. That's, oh, yeah. that's, that said, I feel like the quality of Disneyland food has slipped a lot in the past few years. Like, there used to be like some of my favorite places to eat. the The prices have gone up and the quality has gone down, which is you know always disappointing. So anymore, Docking Bay is one of my go to places. It's a little bit pricier on average than stuff in the rest of the park, but it's also better than a lot of what's in the rest of the park right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I actually think the uh, the the chicken salad there is just top notch and it's like chicken salad seems like a a pretty basic thing but there's this uh like good citrus dressing they put on it the meat is really well marinated the uh there there's uh you know it, it's not just like a, a big pile of romaine lettuce there's like interesting you know variety and texture to the greens in it um like that's that's one of my go-to things the if i'm feeling a little bit spendier the uh the pot roast is really good. Uh, the the pork ribs are pretty good. Um, the only thing that I think is kind of uh, kind of lacking is the the most sort of tourist friendly one, which is the uh, uh, the fried chicken, uh, which is just basically a, a big chicken nugget over mashed potatoes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the the chi- chicken patty brick. Right, right. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I I'm I'm not in any rush to have that again. But you know, if you go for that that chicken salad is great. That would be my my recommendation. And you know, at thirteen bucks, even you know, compared to pricing in the rest of the park, it's not not that bad. Mm-hmm. Um. So I guess the last thing. Uh, well, before we get into the last thing, so a little snacks around the land. Um, one of my favorites. Uh, I, I actually tried a little bit of the popcorn, um, and I thought that was really good in the land. Like. For what it is, it was like fruity pebble popcorn, and you know, yeah, we well, got go wrong with that. 
we got the popcorn for free. Uh, we were in line to get it, and two girls in front of us got it and like had a handful, and they were like, "We don't. This is disgusting. We don't want it." <laughs> and they like they turned to us. They turned to us and were like, "Do you want it?" We're like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" Which now, looking back on it, was probably a terrible thing to do. Um, you know, who knows? Who, who knows what was on their hands? But, <laughs> um, but it was February when we were all young and stupid. You know, a lifetime ago. <laughs> I remember February. Um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought the popcorn was fine. It's not something I would go out of my way to buy again, but it was fine. I feel the same, and I, I think it's it's just on it's just right over that threshold of being more than I want to pay for it, and especially because you can't get the the AP discount on it like you can on the other food. Like it, it I just never go for it. But it's you know it's not bad. Like you said, Joe, the uh, the one tastes a lot like fruity pebbles, and then the uh, the newer chocolate one that they introduced tastes a lot like cocoa puffs. So very. <laughs> Very uh, cereal-based snack food there. Um, not that that's wrong. I think that uh, no, cereal-based snack foods are, like, a big thing with voodoo donuts. I saw a recipe for, like, French toast made with, like, cereal. So, like, I think it's a thing. I yeah. did that. I made French toast with fr- uh, cinnamon toast crunch. It was delicious. Oh, that's a French <laughs> toast exception. Really <laughs> that's incredible. Um so I guess there's one last food drink uh, thing to talk about, and that's Oga's Canteen. Uh, Oga's Canteen, the classic location, question mark? No? Um, <laughs> Sean, you went to Oga's, right? Yeah, we went when we were in Disneyland. Okay, what what were your thoughts on Oga's? That was another one that I, like, kind of split on a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the actual cantina... Like everything inside is awesome, the 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 look is awesome. The music is incredible. Like, the music is some of my favorite theme park music. I think like I really love the music. Release the soundtrack um, album volume two. Yeah, yeah. Seriously, um, Rex's dialogue is great. Um, so yeah, like all the atmospheric stuff, top notch. Everything else. Not not so good. Uh, we had a couple of the mixed drinks. I don't remember off the top of my head which ones they were. I thought they were not good. Um, the beers, I think, is super weird that the only way you can get the flight is if you buy the $85 uh, souvenir, yeah. which is, like, crazy to me. Yeah, that's just the dumbest um so like we had two of the beers which were fine um but super i mean 15 what 15 16 dollars for a beer that's crazy yeah uh, what is this whole, a baseball game <laughs> <laughs> the whole not you know needing a reservation to go into a bar and then stand with random people around a table i again like everything else everything atmosphere wise top notch everything else needs need some work yeah, I, I I don't disagree. I think there there are some dr- there are a few of the drinks I actually really like. Let me get it out of the way. Everything is too expensive, like just <laughs> across the board. But I I think the uh, I, I like both of the tequila based drinks, the uh, Dagobah Slug Slinger, and the Outer Rim, which is sort of like a 
like their take on uh, Margarita. Um, okay. Th- those are pretty good. Um, I like the... I like the taste of the jet juice, which is the bourbon-based drink, but it's it, just a shot, and it's like, who wants to pay $14 for a shot? Like, come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's... I, I, I never get that one because of that. So there, there's stuff I like, but I, I agree. the Because of the sort of hype surrounding it and the... Uh, especially out here, the, the almost hostility <laughs> the whole experience where it's like we 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 want you to be here but we also don't want you to be here uh and it, it's like yeah it i think it would be a lot more pleasant if it if it was not such an ordeal to do it where it's like oh yeah i have to plan out ahead of time to make reservations and then wait in line to get in and then you know they kick me out after 45 minutes and you know all the whole rigmarole that goes into it like i think because like you said it's a it's a fun space to hang out in but you don't actually get to hang out in it right now right it's not a hangout it's a get in get your drinks get out yeah it's basically one step away from being a counter service restaurant it's it's like the scene in simpsons where bar goes to get his pre-birthday sunday and the guy slams (laughs) down a little thimble of ice cream and says eat it and get out (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah um i think it's i I like ogas but like also it's super awkward like they just there's like no real rhyme or reason why you why you have like people bringing their kids in there and just putting them on the table and they're just sitting there and you're trying to have a drink it's just like it doesn't make sense and i feel like people are trying to think that it's some sort of sit down experience and mm. i just and i think people aren't understanding that hey this is a bar you don't take your kids into the bar you know yeah that's 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 a big problem and like i get it it's it's disney right it's it's for families um and like i don't mind people bringing their kids in if they sort of understand what the experience is i i feel like there's a lot of people like you said joe who just don't they don't really for whatever reason they're not really prepared for the fact that it's a bar and so they get in there and then their kids are are antsy because they're not having fun and you know it's that can get really frustrating. It's I like, think I think that comes from the whole reservation too. Oh yeah, you know Disney guests see. Oh, I need to make a reservation for this. It's going to be this nice sit down, you know, restaurant experience where it is not. <laughs> no. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think especially in uh, Hollywood studios, I'd much rather go to Baseline Tap House than Oga's Cantina. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Because um, like baseline actually has somewhat reasonable prices? Question mark. So- well, these and decent snacks, places to sit, you know. Chill, very chill. Yeah, which is nice. Um, like I feel oh, like Ogas needs like an outdoor patio somewhere. Yeah, uh, on the on the snack front, like this is just a personal thing that grinds my gears. Is like eight dollars for bar mix? Are you kidding me, Disney? Yeah, like go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> Here, here's your sesame sticks and peanuts. Eight dollars, nine dollars, and you'll get some. Uh, you'll get some sunflower seeds in there too. Uh, so talking about expensive things, let's move on to merchandise. Uh, I can go get my lightsaber. Yeah, which is get, yeah. <laughs> we, 
which is weirdly a better value than the the drinks are. Like, yeah, it, it's it's weird, right? It's like a, a lot of people are have I think reasonably uh, turned up their noses at the idea of two hundred dollar lightsabers because that's an expensive like on the level of theme park merchandise that's expensive. But like, I was just just this past week looking at uh like i don't even think star wars celebration is even going to happen this year anymore but for a cosplay that i'm wanting to do i was looking at just something to do as a prop for that and i'm i ended up deciding not to go this route because of how much it costs but like you look at even even lower tier fan-made stuff like you're you're looking at four hundred dollars easy uh and you know that you go for the higher end stuff, you're pushing like uh six hundred, seven, eight hundred dollars. And so when you start getting into that land, two hundred dollars actually is a, it's quite a steal. Mm-hmm. It was, it's it's weird to say, but on on one in this one specific area, uh Disney has undercut the competition by a, a factor of hundreds of dollars. Have you have you done the lightsaber? I have, yes. I've uh, okay. <clears throat> done it once but uh you know i i did uh pony up the 200 for it yeah yeah no i i did it when we were in when i went in february and it was my my birthday present from my wife um, oh nice <laughs> and it was it's I, that's another thing i will totally admit that i was wrong on because going in i'm like oh my god 200 dollars for a lightsaber and then you know of course i went to the land the first time and i'm like we went by where it was and, uh, uh, you know, we went by Savi's and she goes, Oh, can you build lightsabers there? I'm like, yeah. And she's like, you're going to do it. I'm like, Oh, it's $200. And she's like, well, maybe when we go in, in to Orlando in February, you can do that for your birthday. And I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm on board. Um, and it was, it was totally worth it. It was a great experience. Um, and it, it does feel, you know, it's got heft to it. It feels like, I, I don't feel like I got chipped. Oh, know. totally. It, yeah, I mean, you, you combine the, the quality of the, you know, the physical lightsaber itself with the, you know, the the presentation of the, the larger show. You know, it's it's expensive, and, it you know, I, I, I understand the frustration where people who maybe aren't interested in the, in the you know, the lightsaber itself have to pay or find a friend who's willing to pay to get into the experience to see what it even is but like it's a cool it's a cool the whole thing is very well done and very well produced and yeah you know simple things but there's you know the presentation of it is very uh very enjoyable Mm -hmm. yeah i was originally going to do it but then i I just couldn't justify the costs, um, and, and I think that's kind no, of. I the, hear you. And that's kind of one of the problems I I think I have with this. Like, I could justify that more if it's a situation where they're allowing you to take it out in the land, or to you know actually do more with it. But basically, hmm. you get it, and they're like, keep it in the sleeve, don't take it out. Blah blah right. blah. Only t- only take it out if you're taking pictures. Right. It, it's that's the other frustrating angle with, uh, and, and this has been a problem since day one. Is Disney Disney wants to do 
what Universal is doing with the Potter stuff, but Disney Ops is not willing to lean into it in the same way that Universal is, where Universal's like, yeah, come show up in your robes and have your wand out. Go go nuts. We don't care. As long as you're not causing a problem, it's fine. Where Disney is still in this very sort of old school mentality of nobody's allowed to wear anything that resembles a costume. Sorry, tough luck. It, you can buy it here, but you can't you don't get to use it here. And mm-hmm. I there's that frustrating disconnect where it's like, oh, unless, unless you're a kid, right? Unless you're a kid, mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, I just spent two hundred dollars on this thing that you won't let me use. It, it's yeah, I, I hear you. It's it's frustrating, and I wish Disney would find a way to kind of get over themselves with that. But I don't see that happening anytime soon, unfortunately. What is that what? One of the reasons why I bought the belt clip just so I could wear the wear it on the on my belt and have the the blade in the bag. Nerd. So people would comment on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, guess what? The next time the next time I go, it's coming in the it's coming in the, the suitcase and I'm wearing it again. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. There you go. What what's interesting though is like um I like I went to Pandora and you know all that stuff and like you see like some people with a box, but it feels like there was way, way, way more people who have those black once you know what that black sleeve looks like and is like you see them everywhere. You see them in the park. You see them on the bus. You see them in the hotels. You see them in MCO. Like they're everywhere. Yeah, we had two of them on our plane. Yeah, exactly. They're everywhere, and I think that's yeah. something that even like Pandora never really hit. And even that was you know popular. Um, but you know, it's just something that I that I was not expecting. You know, I'm I'm looking at a two hundred dollar experience, and I was I'm thinking like, oh man. They're gonna. They're barely gonna sell this out, and man, they they just sell those out every day. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because it's like I think the there there's two different sort of mentalities there. Where it's like if having a you know having a pretty good quality lightsaber prop is something that is enticing to you, $200 is a steal. It's a no-brainer, right? If that's not something that's enticing to you, it feels really, uh, it, it feels sort of outlandish. Um, but I think there's enough people who it is enticing for where it's like, oh yeah, this this is not, comparably, it's it, it feels like a similar buy-in to the, even though it's, you know, three, four times the price, it feels like a similar buy-in to the $60 Potter ones, just when you compare it to what else these things cost uh, if you're buying them anywhere else. Like yeah. like I said, I mean, $400 on the low end. It, mm-hmm. It's it's crazy how much these stupid lightsabers cost. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will be interested to see, I mean, obviously, you know, there's different situations now where you people might be spending less, but even oh, yeah. ignoring even ignoring what you know what's going on now. Um, when would that selling out all of all, all you know all shows all day start to peter out? Because you got to figure it would peter out eventually. And like, because even with you know Potter, the first Ollivanders was always full, and you know the line was always so long, and then they built three theaters for it in Diagon Alley. And after two months, they're like, Oh, we don't need this third theater. We can just get rid of that. And we turn it into a travel agent store. Yeah. Like, will that, what was that, you know, 
that lightsaber demand ever going to peter out? And if it did, you know, what what changes would they make? But I get, you know, again, who knows what the deal is now? Yeah, everything is everything is so up in the air at this point. I mean, I I was joking with my roommate last night that uh, you know this was the summer that we thought was going to be the crazy one because everybody who didn't go to Galaxy's Edge last year uh, <laughs> yeah. was going to come this year, and then plus the Marvel stuff opening up, and it's like, oops, guess not. Yeah, twenty twenty one, everyone. Yeah, so. Some of the other things um, to talk about are, uh, ha- I- I, Sean, you haven't done this, but David, have you done um, the Droid Depot? I have not done it myself, but okay. I have been uh, I have been a spectator to uh, two different people doing it. Okay, is it interesting? Is it good? Is it how? What would you say? It, it it's neat. I mean, it's not. It's certainly not. The presentation of it is not on the level of like Savi's or anything. It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's more, you know, more like a build a bear kind of experience where you're taken through the different phases of uh, getting the pieces to assemble it, and then you do the actual assembling. And yeah. uh, like, like it's fun. It's uh, it it definitely feels more geared towards kids, which is uh, you know, it, it's it's even for a kid, it's still an expensive toy at a hundred dollars. But um, like. That feels like more of the target audience for that. Uh, again, like the you know the the same the same audience who would get a kick out of something like Build a Bear, um, and it's I, I think it's uh, it, it's well done for what it is, but it's not like unless you want the toy, I wouldn't go out of your way to do it in the same way I would for Savi's. Mm-hmm. No, that makes sense. Um, is there anything else? Yeah, I'm waiting to oh, do the George. Oh, when 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 I would. I'm going to do the Joy Depot in a few years when the kids, you know, able to appreciate that. You know, when I force her to be a Star Wars fan, and <laughs> that'll that never go stuff. wrong. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, it won't backfire at all. Um, nope. Is there any other uh, talk of merchandise at the at the lands that you want to that that you guys want to mention, or is it? I mean, just sort of broadly speaking, I, yeah. I'm really impressed with the with the overall quality and variety of the the merchandise they have. Like a lot of the, just sort of across the board in the the rest of the parks, I think Disney merchandise has gotten really generic in the past few years. And to see, you know, really specific, interesting stuff, and like not everything is great, but it's all it's all unique and it's all interesting and. Uh, I think they did a really solid job across the board with different types of merchandise and different levels of merchandise, you know, from the from the $200 lightsabers down to, you know, pretty reasonably priced uh, toys and doodads that are still, you know, interesting and unique and not stuff you can buy at Target, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I, I'm impressed with... Uh, with how good a job they did with it. And I actually think in, this is one of the cases where they, they definitely one upped Potter. Like, I think, I think certain categories of Potter merchandise are really good, right? Like the wands and the, the costume and cosplay stuff I think is all great. But outside of that, I think a lot of the Potter merch gets a little bit generic, like, Oh, here's a t-shirt with the, the dark bark on it. Um, where I don't think there's as much, generic stuff in with the uh galaxy's edge merch mm-hmm. 
I think a lot of the the, the Hogwarts stuff is A plus in Potter. But then when you kind of diverge from that, you get into this really weird zone of, like, they don't know what it should be. So right. that, that's when you end up with, like, the weird full graphic Gringotts t-shirts. <laughs> and, and, yeah. you're just, and you're just like, what is this? Yeah. 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 Um, but, yeah, no, I understand where you're definitely coming from. Yeah, like, I, I got a few things. Like, I got the Han Solo's dice and put them on the, the you know, rear view mirror of my car because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> but they're also like, I think they were probably like 10 or 12 bucks. They were like relatively cheap, but they've, they've got heft to them. They're not like, you know, they don't feel plasticky. They feel like they're, they, you know, for lack of a better term, they feel real, um, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. And we got, um, I don't remember what else we got, but like there, I was surprised at how much stuff I saw that I was like, "Oh, I could see myself buying that." Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's been a it's been a problem living here, Sean, because like oh, I'm, I'm sure I, I'm in my room and like I'm staring at what one, two, three, four, five, six six pieces of Galaxy's Edge merch just right in front of me. <laughs> like it's yeah. bad. Um, so like there, there's a lot of it that like if again if you're if you're into it. Uh, if you're into to Star Wars uh, and like there, there's good, interesting stuff and a surprising amount of of deep cuts too. I mean, like everybody, everybody, I'm sure remembers uh, Guy Selga picking up the Luke's ration kit from Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> yeah, forgot. And, and about it's that. like you know, just like that's that's an impressive deep cut. And like I, I that's not what I'm going to pick up myself, but I admire that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like there's I um I think it was one of like the rebel or the resistance helmets. And I'm like, oh, it looks pretty cool. Kinda wanna get it. Not gonna, but maybe one day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I liked a lot of the resistance stuff. Um that that was that would be something that if I decided to like drop like a bunch of money on, I could get a lot of re- a lot of the resistance gear. And uh Probably hate myself later, but really enjoy myself for a little bit. The, the the big one for me has been the creature stall. Like I'm a big fan of the uh, the Star Wars cartoon series, and so like every every creature that was in one of those cartoons, I have on my yeah. shelf now. So uh, I love the loft cat in the in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, some closing thoughts, Sean. Any closing thoughts on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge? As it celebrates its one-year anniversary, yeah, and like like I've said before, I th- I would say it's probably my my third favorite land after the two Potter lands that I've mm-hmm. ever been to. Um, it's and it could have been probably the top if they had finished it. Um, I, I don't want to say finished because obviously it's built. Uh, it's not like they didn't you know build something, but if they had just put the last shows and stuff like that and it probably would have been my favorite land um but all in all even you know third is pretty still pretty damn good yeah um it's got one of the best rides i've ever been on it's it does have great character moments in it when you when you see people interacting or if you interact with ray or kylo ren or chewy or any of them and you know it's it is really great and hopefully one day it will be what it was meant to be when it was designed. 
Yeah. Uh, but all in all, all in all, I, I, I don't have many actual real complaints. It's, it's a place I will happily spend many hours in whenever I'm allowed back in a theme park. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, David, what's yeah. uh, your last thoughts on the one year anniversary? Yeah. I mean, similar thoughts to Sean. I, I am, I'm more comfortable using the term unfinished because I genuinely think it is. I think that, uh, they, they, they had this plan for what they set out to build. And then, you know, at the last minute, a lot of those, you know, a lot of those sort of core facets got pulled out from under them and just were not, not ever allowed to exist. And so the, in a very real sense, the, the, the structure that this whole thing was built to support, uh, doesn't doesn't exist and that's that's been frustrating to me and sort of uh going through the stages of grief of realizing oh Oh. this this may never ever actually show up um you know but i think what is there is good enough that most people won't notice um which is you know for better or for worse a, a testament to the quality of what is there um and like sean said i i you know even though i would love to see the uh, the sort of broader uh, structure for the interactivity and in the shows and stuff like that. The character interactions you you get are great. Like Chewie is a ton of fun. Like guests go nuts for him and rightly so. Like just just every interaction I've ever had with him or seen other guests have with him has been nothing but a delight. And then you've got Ray and the stormtroopers and uh, Vimerati. Um, like it's that's all great and. Uh, you know, I just wish there was more of that. But, you know, what's there is great. And I, I love spending time in the land. I, I enjoy both of the attractions. Obviously, Rise is the is, is the home run hit. And, uh, you know, I like I like Smuggler's Run for what it is. It's not great, but it's a it's it's good enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Smuggler's Run. It's good enough. It's better than Flight of Passage. So. I, I have not been on Flight of Passage, so I, I, I can't comment, but uh, <laughs> I, I I am well aware of its reputation among the Parkscope crowd. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, David, where can we find you online at? So I am on Twitter more often than I should be, uh, at uh, David M. Doubt, last name spelled D-A-U-T. I also have a website that I have... Uh, it's been been a bit since I've posted anything there, but like I write a lot of stuff about uh, movies and theme parks and Star Wars. Uh, it's uh, davidmdoubt.com. And, uh, you know, when all of this is over, probably find me in Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Sean, where can we find you online at? Uh, Huckle, comma, Sean. Literally spelled out, comma, on Twitter. <laughs> nice um yeah, yeah otherwise i i i was gonna write a blog post about star wars and i just never got to it but we basically talked about everything here so yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah you can find me at parkscope joe you can find all of us at parkscope.net um trying to think what else i think that's really about it there's not much really to talk about you know we've we've done it all hey we we uh logged a good 90 minutes yeah Yeah, we we did 
So we'll see you guys on the other side. Thanks for listening. And uh, Sean, do you want to lead us out? Uh, love everybody. Hate everything. Kungaloosh, everybody. There we Stay go. Stay safe, Kungaloosh. Yep, there we go. <laughs> <laughs>